festival. Festivals. Festivals. Celtic festival. Festival. Can't wait for the festival. The National Celtic Festival. Podcast. Podcast for the festival. Great lineup of bands. Great interviews. People coming together. Funny moments. A culture evolving. Good music. This is the National Celtic Festival Podcast. Hello. Welcome to the National Celtic Festival Podcast. My name's Michelle Herbison. And my name's Misha Herman. Over the next four episodes, we're going to be showcasing the festival highlights of 2017. For those who haven't experienced the National Celtic Festival, it runs over four days every June. It's on the Queen's Birthday Long Weekend in the quaint seaside town of Port Arlington in Victoria, which is about an hour and a half from Melbourne, Australia. The festival celebrates all things Irish, Scottish, Welsh and beyond. It attracts more than 15,000 people from all over Australia and the rest of the world, and many people return year after year. The main drawcard is the music of international and local bands, but it's also a celebration of all elements of Celtic culture, from dance to art to family history, food and more. So why are we making a podcast about this festival? Well, both of us love Celtic music and we've both been involved in the scene in various capacities for a number of years. We also both love listening to podcasts and wanted to combine our skills to make one. Yeah, I have experience as a journalist and Misha is an incredibly skilled sound engineer. So with the support of the National Celtic Festival, we went along to the 2017 event and did lots of recording. We've ended up making four episodes, which include backstage interviews with some of the international and local acts, chats with stallholders, festival volunteers and audience members, and some snippets of a diverse range of music. We're keen to get people excited about the festival and about Celtic music and culture in general. We hope you find it interesting and inspiring to listen to. So let's kick off. First up, here's me meeting one of the great international acts from the 2017 festival. They were a great crowd and real energy and... It ended up being like a gig you do at flipping midnight in there, like so it was great. Mm, uh, no, and, and we dug in, and even though it's like it seems pretty premature to be finishing a gig at three o'clock in the day and having given your all, but it was it was great, um, and and we played accordingly then. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the crowd's a big part of it. I guess. Ah, it is. We yeah. feed off that, so it's yeah. it's great. festival highlight was having a really interesting chat with these guys. How's it going? I'm Kevin Crawford, uh, flute player with Lunasa, but I'm out here in Australia with Colin Farrell and Patrick Ducey at the National Celtic Festival. Hi, my name's Colin Farrell. Kevin uh, Crawford, who you heard from earlier, asked me and Pat Ducey, the guitar player from Foxford, if we'd fancy uh, a trip to Australia. Patrick Ducey is my name. (laughs) I suppose it's not really a band, it's just kind of a trio, I think. I think Kevin got the, the shout to, to put a team together and oh, yeah. so he's the main attraction so myself and Colin just <laughs> make up the numbers. For a time I thought we'd never actually get the chance to meet up with Kevin. After they'd finished playing on the Saturday afternoon, we hung around patiently at the back of the Celtic club and I kept asking people where he was but no one seemed to know. After a while I was worried maybe he wouldn't have time to talk to us. Kevin's pretty famous in the Celtic world but he was amazing. When he finally arrived, he came straight over to us with a big smile on his face and throughout the chat he was 100% present. Hi Kevin. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Are you well? I'm Michelle. How are you? Good to good. see you. Thanks for coming out. Lunas are really our top of their game. 20 years is a long time to be playing with the same band. 
They've had a few years where they were only doing three or four tours a year, but now they've ramped it up. Between recording and and touring, um, we're probably doing eight months a year now as the band. Um, because we had it this year is a big year, it's our 20th anniversary. So, um, and it's great to have new blood in there with Patrick and Colin. Um, you know, I think even though we, we, we do get on all so well, like the original band, it's hard to reinvent yourselves with the same five people all the time. Um, so, Colin coming on board really was like, it just we just felt flipping out. We could go another 20 now, like, there's just new ideas and. Uh, just even, he's such an energy bunny, like he's great and he's always, nothing is ever, like he's not a mourner, a whiner, a wind, like he's, <laughs> if you asked him, if I said to him now, just run to the end of the festival grounds there and, and, and pick me up a, an ice cream. Oh yeah, no problem Kev, yeah, like, <laughs> we need more CDs. Oh, I'll, I'll actually go back to the house, I'll get them, yeah. Or, he's just incredible. I think Kevin really likes your um, your spirit. He said that you bring a good energy to the band and you bring some good creative ideas and everything did, did like that. So that? you did. Did he send me a recording of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I write a lot of music. I've I've grown up. I've I've always loved writing music. So I, mean, I haven't put too much of an input into the band up to the new album. We're doing a, a little bit, but no, I mean, you can't help not put you know yeah. enjoy yourself while you're playing with the guys. You know, the, the, I mean, there's an energy off them. You know, it's. You know, it's great. Yeah. Loving it. So the thing about Lunasa is they're one of the most influential Irish bands on the scene, but these three guys all live in America. Kevin and Pat live in New York and Colin lives in Florida. He moved there 13 years ago to play a gig at downtown Disney and he's never left. So I wanted to ask them a lot about what it means to be an Irish musician outside of Ireland. Here's Pat. It's only when you travel outside of Ireland that you realise how big Irish music is because you go to... You go to nearly any country in the world and you see someone playing. It's mad, it really is mad, but we were in uh, Melbourne for the few days. Melbourne the other day, 30 odd musicians playing great music. And there was two or three sessions even in that day and really good standard of music and, and, and tunes, so it's great, it's great to see, yeah. The, the, the irony of it all is is that like to, to play Irish music for a living, you have to, you can't do that in Ireland. Um, like there are no opportunities to, to, to do full-time music in Ireland. People certainly see the importance of Irish music within the Irish culture, but there still aren't, uh, you know, you could you could do all the gigs you could do in Ireland, you'd have it done in 10 days. And then, then what you do, you sit sit around for another 12 months and then do those 10 gigs again. I think maybe it's quite common to think like, oh, you know, you have to be Irish to play Irish music yeah. or, you know, Irish music is like, you know, from Ireland, yeah, so yeah. Everything, anything else is kind of an import or whatever. Yeah, well, we'd be it. Like with me and Kevin were born in Birmingham and Manchester. Yep. Pat, the guitar player, was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. And, and there was a myth for many years, like people say, oh, you know, you have to be from the country to play it. You know, you have to... It's a cultural thing, you have to almost have... You know, it's from the rocks and the trees and you have to have kind of, you know, breathed it in and all. It's, it's, it's not right at all. Like, I mean, I think if you really are passionate about something, you listen to it, you... You seek it out wherever you can. You don't have to be from the country. Like, that's nonsense. Um, so I think the technology's there now and, and it's a small world for travelling. And uh, You know, people do get to experience whatever type of music they want, they can have it and they can learn it and they can play it. So.
Over the last 20 years of Lunasa, things have changed a lot. When they first started, they stepped into a scene that had been brewing for 10 or 15 years already. Although traditional Irish music was more underground in the few decades prior, the folk revival of the 60s and 70s made it cool again. The music hasn't changed that much. Like I said, we're really just continuing on with the sound that was created in the 70s. Uh, and I don't think you can you can better it, like, really. it's it's it, For me, it has it has all you want. It has the kick. It has the the, the very colourful accompaniment, the beautiful chords. It has the low end of the double bass in our band. So, And you have the the interplay, the counterpoint, the harmony and the hardcore melody. You know, some people want... Yeah, what more drums. do you want? <laughs> well, they want drums and they want rock and roll. Yeah. Like, and that's that's it's not different. what that's 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 Celtic rock. Like, that's not where we're coming from. Yeah, we're, totally. But it, it it is a nice. I think it's a nice sound, and lots of other bands have, have started to to incorporate our instrumentation, which was new at the time. Double bass and a guitar. We were the only band that was doing that at the time. But now yeah. it's commonplace. Yeah. So. Then there was the Riverdance era, where Irish music became cool in the mainstream and quite commercialised. We did good, and we we, we, we rode the the thing pretty well, um, and we, we got a lot of mileage out of Riverdance. But uh, I think a lot of a lot of people came on thinking that there was it was a gravy train. You know, if we had something sounding like Riverdance, we can do it. But after five, six, seven years, that kind of that went, uh, and it was really only the the kind of proper bands that were doing it for the genuine reasons that, that stayed the course. Uh, that crowd that were playing trendy music as it was then were gone on to playing music from the Bonavista Social. The next thing, like, and then they're probably doing something from Panpipes from the Andes or something now. Like, that was just, it was trendy so they wanted it. Um, whereas we're hopefully coming from a place of, again, it's, it's what we love, it's what we grew up with and it's, it's what we're going to play whether we're doing gigs or not, we're going to be playing. So That's awesome. So talk to me about... Um traditional music and kind of bringing a creative approach to it so where are kind of the boundaries and how do you how do you be creative but also kind of um, you know pay tribute to the tradition well fun like at the heart and soul of what we do it's it's traditional music um, you know if you strip away with Lunas or even what we do here um, if you took away the accompaniment the tunes themselves are are pretty much dyed in the wool, straight ahead traditional tunes. Um, the I think the problem is if, when you come to it from a place of of not understanding what the actual uh, what the integrity and the authenticity of the music is, it's hard to actually stretch it. Then once you know what it is, you can always come back there. So. Um, and a lot of people find that hard. They like they want to be this modern type of kind of band or sound or player, but they haven't really done the homework with the the kind of nuts and bolts stuff first. And and that's the thing I say. Like you, you can go there, <coughs> but in order for it to really sound authentic, you need to actually learn the the the, the straight ahead traditional stuff first, the meat and potato stuff. And if you get that then you can stretch it and you can come back and it'll always sound, or it should always sound like it's it's coming from a good place. And you know, you kind of, you, you, you go above and beyond and you may, might maybe go too far with arrangements and being overly creative, but, uh, and then things evolve all the time. 
So when they say coming from an authentic place, what does that mean to them? Where did they come from? Well, I asked them a bit about their own musical backgrounds and habits, starting with Pat and then Colin. So did you grow up playing traditional music? Yeah, yeah. So since started, I started on the fiddle when I was seven. We learned by ear growing up. Mm. Since then, I've uh, just it's just been all tread and, yeah. and uh, haven't really ventured. I like listening to other music, but... I don't think I can handle it. Let's just stick to the three chords and, and, the, and a few bits of rhythm. So I just kind of like to listen sometimes and just leave the guitar down for a while and yeah. just listen. So Yeah, absolutely. So um, tell us a little bit more about how you got into playing Irish music. So obviously you said that you grew up in an Irish family but living in England. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? Was there any? Was there much of an Irish music scene in Manchester? It was incredible, yeah. Yeah, because like the same, like my parents, they moved over from Ireland in, in the... In the 50s, and same as a lot of people, the 40s, 50s, 60s, a huge amount of people moved across to England. And I'd say the scene there was as good as any county in Ireland. There was hundreds of kids playing music. It was incredible, yeah. So, and then we were just dragged to lessons when we were kids, and it was beaten into us. But you know, no, just there's, there was different. Uh, we call them uh, cultist branches, uh, just branches of Irish music. There might be, you know. 100 kids in each branch and you have lessons and then and I there was a big uh, Irish set dancing scene in Manchester when I was growing up Cayley dancing so I used to play play in a band called St Malachy's Cayley Band and every we played I'd, growing up for years I played every Monday night every Tuesday night for dancers down at Cayley on a Saturday Sunday yeah from the age of about 12 or 13 when I was younger I'd rather be out playing football or you know messing around and then my mum uh, my mum made me do a half an hour every night fiddle and whistle you know, I'd be like, Are you grateful to that now? Oh no, big time! Yeah, if it wasn't for it, I probably I don't know what I'd be doing now. Yeah. But you know, so so that was uh, you know thankful for that. What's the scene like in Florida? Uh, not great. <laughs> not great. Does this mean that if there's a little bit less going on, you get a little bit more time to lock yourself in a room and practice and learn new tunes yourself? No, you'd think so. <laughs> no, see, I'm terrible. I never practice. It's awful. <laughs> oh, but because I'm always learning music for new bands. Like different bands, I'm, honestly, I must have 50 folders at home full of music. Like, I'm playing with a band next weekend in, in Ohio, and I, I, I thought I'll have three weeks to learn all the music. I've not even looked at it yet, so oh my God. I'll be cra- I'll be cramming it in. But. As like a you know professional touring musician, how much time do you spend by yourself locked in a room practicing or learning? Not as much as I should. I had a because we've been away. I mean. I came to America three years ago. When I was in Ireland, I had a really great discipline. Like, I, and part of that was because there were no gigs. So, um, you know, I'd get up and I'd, I'd, I'd lock myself in the room. I could spend four hours every day listening, learning, recording, doing stuff. In America, I'm living in New York. I teach every day and I play music every night. So. You think that you're on top of your game yeah. because you're 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 doing it full time, but you're actually not. Like yeah. the real food that feeds you, like the real nourishment, is in when you sit down and you're 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 so excited to learn something new, and you're you're, you're so that happened a couple, maybe two months ago. We came off the big six-week lunacy tour, and I had a week. And I was toying with going back to Ireland to visit folks and see people. And I said, no, I'm wrecked. I'm going to go and I'm going to rent a house. And I went down to 
New Jersey to the Jersey coast and I booked a, I rented a house and I spent a week practicing and playing and it was like oh so good yeah and, it, and apart from just even what it is doing for your playing it, it's what it does for your head like I came away thinking Jesus you know what you, you still have a contribution to make here because you know you're always coming up with new stuff and otherwise you're you are just regurgitating if you're just doing gigs all the time you're, you're coming up with you're playing the same stuff yeah but I mean there's lots of it so you can vary it but it's still the same stuff you haven't yeah. come up with anything new yeah so uh, and I guess with teaching it's probably different as well you're not really necessarily coming up with new things you're kind of more just imparting your knowledge and it's actually waiting for someone else to it's better teaching is better for your music than, than actually playing the same stuff every night because you are you're doing things in a little bit of a slow-mo and there's times when you are teaching somebody and you don't say it but you say Jesus oh that's that I'll, I'll remember that like you're actually teaching yourself too uh, and you're always reminded of the of the basics which is a good thing as well like the reason we are if we are the reason we're as good as we are is because we spent so many years like just practicing yep. and doing it like uh, and being passionate about it like um, so it's, it's good to, to remind yourself of that too. of Irish music. I asked Kevin about where he sees the scene heading. Now it used to be America and then it was the UK. Japan has wiped the floor with them all. It's you cannot, like when we play in Japan it's crazy. The amount of Japanese living in Ireland now learning the music is phenomenal. There's five Lunas tribute bands in Japan. Oh my god, that um, is hilarious. It's, it's frightening. There's, I mean if you go on YouTube it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so do they put a different approach? Do they like put a Japanese spin on it in any way, or are they kind of no, trying to be really authentic? No, yeah. no, no. They're, 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 when they do something, they they either copy it better to a point <laughs> where it's better than the original, or else they, you know, they they, they they don't bother at all. It's 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 quite something. And what about the next generation? Kevin and Colin mentioned some of the trends they're seeing among young people lately. There's a, an undercurrent in Ireland of young players who are actually going right back. Like mm. the trend is to play without accompaniment now again, mm. not to almost have it as a as a performance or a band thing. Yep. Lots of young players are they're they're kind of standing against it and they're just getting and they're playing uh, instruments that were popular in the 60s and 70s. There's a different sound to them, like old, very. Uh, there's a kind of an older sound to the accordions and to the pipes and. Uh, and the fiddles are all tuned down low, and it's, it's yeah. a kind of a trend. It's retro-ish. It's a bit kind of a kickback, um, but it's good because it gets the. It's 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 great. I mean, it means that the, the kind of just the tunes themselves without the dressing, um, is is still popular and and still interesting for for younger yeah. musicians. So I think it's it's healthy, but it is a. It's, it's, a, it's something new. You know, each county in Ireland, and even some parts, but maybe Australia and, and Manchester now has gone up, definitely had uh, 
their own style, you know, they'd be the Sligo style or the Donegal style. And I think that was lost for a few years with, well, with access to the internet and YouTube. I think a lot of regional styles have died out over the years. But I think recently they've come back again. A lot of the young lads now are, are really focusing on, on, on their, their county and the style that was there, and, which is good to see. Look at Kevin shouting at me, he's starving. He's got the biggest appetite of any man I've ever met in my life. Food appetite, that is. <laughs> but, uh, we won't be long. Yeah, we'll be there soon, Kev. <laughs> Thanks so much. Anyone, any other questions? No? Nah, we right. can go eat now. Yeah, I did. Perfect. Thank you so much. No problem. She yeah, said I great. was much better to interview than you. I know she did. <laughs> you were boring. And she said that I was better than Patrick, so she says that to all the boys. was Kevin Crawford, Colin Farrell and Patrick Ducey playing at the Celtic Club on the Saturday afternoon of the festival. Next up, we wanted to give you a bit of insight into what goes into organising a festival like this. Basically, it couldn't happen without the generous support of the tireless volunteers who put so many hours in. I spoke to a few of them to find out what the job's like. My name's Anya McAllister and I, this is my first time volunteering. I've been to this festival many times. It's one of my favourite local festivals. Um, but this time I volunteered and I'm selling CDs and clothing. And CDs are my area of interest because I'm a volunteer at a community radio station and I present a program called the Celtic Folk Show once a week. And where is that based? What radio station Melbourne, is it? Melbourne. So it's 3CR, Community Radio, and this is my 20th year of doing that. So tell us about the volunteer community. What's it like? It sounds like there's lots of people that have been volunteering like for years and years and maybe some new people as well. Each time I've worked with Marion. Uh, Marion McDonald and uh, um, I do all the um, administration behind the scenes. And Marion's one of the people that she's she, her and her husband and lots of other people are, are mainstays of the festivals and then on the weekend I'm behind the desk at the merchandise so how many years have you volunteered at this festival for Marion uh, this well, probably 10 years now so yeah so what does it take um, uh, to bring this festival together it sounds like there's a lot of volunteers Do you know how many or? Uh, there's about uh, be over 200 volunteers altogether so it's a, it's a, and there's a lot of um, work leading up to the festival a lot of background work that we have to do so tell me about volunteering at the festival what do you have to do um, it's a minimum of eight hours and you can be, um, like tonight I'm being a venue manager. There's lots of different jobs that they have to do. My name is Kaylee. I come here every single year. Getting the festival site organised, um, running the bars. Monday I'll be in the bar at the Celtic Club. Doing the decorations. You can be on the door. Manning the doors. Checking people's wristbands, making sure they have one. Cleaning up after people. Cleaning up the rubbish. The bus drivers. Bar cleaner. People checking in the markets and looking after them. Um, it's usually a really good group of volunteers. Like There's like the friendships that you build here as well, as well as the music and just the whole atmosphere and environment. It's just really magical and tingly. <laughs> That was Kaylee, a festival volunteer, ending that report. Next up, let's hear from the woman who brings it all together, festival director Una McAlinden. I caught up with her for a quick chat on the first night of the festival. We were in the busy Celtic club in between sets. So tell me about this year's festival. What can we expect? Well, you can expect the best one yet, which is a sort of a, a 
guess a bit of a joke, but not really, because uh, uh, every year we try and present, you know, the best possible program, improve lots of things about the festival, and you know, really work towards being as good as it can be. So, yeah, there's an amazing international lineup, uh, some of the best acts from across Australia, and some really, really interesting. Um, projects that we're doing, arts projects that we're doing that sort of explore the depth of Celtic culture. So yeah, it's going to be good. And then we also have uh, international partnerships with arts organisations. And through those partnerships, say for instance this year we've um, got a connection with Wales Arts, or the Arts Council, so that um, we've worked for quite a number of years to bring a young Welsh band out because Australia doesn't get that opportunity to... um, to have Welsh bands here at all. So so we've worked hard with that. We've got a partnership with the Highlands of Scotland with Face Ross. You know, it's a mix. It's a mix of finding what's, what's out there, but really being in the thick of the scene, I guess. Yeah. To people who don't know that much about Celtic music or haven't really been exposed to it before, how would you describe what this kind of scene is all about? I think there's quite... There's quite people have stereotypes of what they think it's about. But I think we're trying to show people the diversity of it. So it's anything for us, that it's anything from traditional Australian Celts and then contemporary. So what we're trying to do is get the message out there that come and have a look, it's so diverse. Yeah, there's, there's bound to be something for everyone. And on that note, it's time to wrap up this first episode of the podcast. We hope you're excited to listen to the rest of the show. There are some great conversations coming up in the next episodes. In episode two, you'll hear about one of the festival's cultural partnerships with the Scottish organisation Face Ross. Every year they bring out a group of young Scottish traditional musicians, along with a couple of established musicians, to teach the next generation of traditional players here. This year it was the fiddle player and renowned composer Adam Sutherland with guitarist Mark Clement. We went along to the weekend workshop they hosted in the week before the festival. All that and more in the next episode of the National Celtic Festival podcast. If you want to know more about the festival, visit nationalcelticfestival.com. To finish off, we'll leave you with the music of Eric Bogle, recorded in St Pat's Church on the Saturday of the festival. I'm Michelle Herbison. And I'm Michelle Herman. Catch you next time. For the son of a friend, and so a tradition began. And as the fame of that cradle grew wide, It became a community's badge of shared pride To have the small sons and daughters Spend the night in its shelter And to have their names carved on its side Hush-a-bye, baby, don't you weep Reg Evans' cradle is gonna rock you to sleep And maybe tomorrow when you open your eyes From the flames a phoenix will rise This podcast was produced by Michelle Herbison and Misha Herman with the support of the National Celtic Festival. Audio mixed by Misha Herman. Music used in this episode was recorded at the festival with the permission of the artists. With special thanks to Una McAlinden, the National Celtic Festival, Daniel Hunt, Lucy Wise, all our interviewees, and of course you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. And in the grim aftermath of that fire's deadly path, no trace of that cradle was found. 
It was far from black Saturday's flames Sheltering another small child once again And when it returned back to where it belonged On its side was carved a new name Hush by baby, don't you weep Rajavan's cradle has gone a rock here to sleep And maybe tomorrow when you open your eyes From the flames a phoenix will rise